Hello there, and you're very welcome to Team Limerick Cleanup Talks to episode number four. We are nearly there. The eighth edition of Team Limerick Cleanup is almost upon us. Good Friday, the 7th of April, is when, when people from all across the city and county will get out and do ourselves proud for Good Friday and then sit down with each other and enjoy a nice hot cross bun and a cup of tea and coffee with our neighbours. So as I said, 7th of April is when we kick off and this year we're looking forward to volunteers from all walks of life taking part. This year we've groups from across the city and county who will be coming out and getting to know the neighbours and celebrating the place where we're from. The event of course is sponsored by the JP McManus Benevolent Fund and supported by Limerick City and County Council. And since its inception, TLC has seen over 400 tonnes of litter gathered from the streets by volunteers Along with our event partner, we spoke to them in episode one of the podcast, Mr. Binman, ever since we started up in 2015. That equates to 14,500 household wheelie bins. So, of course, the initiative was founded by J.P. McManus, Helen O'Donnell and Paul O'Connell. When they met in the Hunt Museum one day, they were having a bit of a headbang to see how we can make a difference in Limerick City and County. And as a result of that small little meeting, they created the animal that has become Team Limerick Cleanup. And I was delighted to meet with Paul O'Connell, who came into studio with me last week, and he sat down and gave me a real in-depth interview about his life and his involvement with Team Limerick Cleanup, and, of course, some of his background on the sports field and a little bit of an insight into what it was like to be a coach this time round for the Grand Slam-winning Irish team this year. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what Paul had to say. Okay, so Paul O'Connell, you're very welcome to the Team Limerick Cleanup Talks to podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Paul, talk to me about your childhood in Limerick and your early memories. Where did you grow up and what was your background? I grew up in Drumbanna, which is um, on the old Cork Road on the way to Kilmallock, um, on the way to, let's say, the village of Balanisi. I'm just uh, near the Four Elms pub there, so I grew up on a half acre on a bungalow in the countryside. Um, mum and dad and I had two older brothers Justin who was 8 years older than me and Marcus then was a year and 9 months older than me um, we had a big back garden um, we had no Commodore 64 no Atari which was which led to much uh, hassle in our house but when I look back it was the best thing that ever happened it was just a sporting upbringing really you know um, my dad is sport mad I mean he'll watch anything and if there's an Irish guy playing whatever the sport he, he'll support it massively and if that guy my dad is from Cork if that Irish guy or girl is from Cork he'll uh, he'll go all in so it was just sports rugby soccer hurling Gaelic football golf tennis all in the back garden um and uh, and I played for South Liberties. I used to go into the Catholic Institute. I did a small bit of tennis there, but mainly pitch and putt. Uh, I play. I I played a little bit of soccer for Glenview. I swam for Seal Swimming Club and Limerick Swimming Club. I played my rugby for Young Monsters, obviously. Um, watched loads of sport on TV. Played loads of sport with my brothers and the neighbours down the road, the the Clancy's, the Shanahan's, the O'Neills. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely upbringing. You know, I do. I know we're not here to talk about Bernardo's, but I do a bit of work with Bernardo's mainly because, you know, I thought my childhood was very normal, but it actually wasn't. It's it's it was a blissful, privileged. You know, we weren't wealthy or anything. Both my parents worked. 
Um, I would say it, it was it was money was tight, but not 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 too tight. But I had a blissful childhood, and and that's why I do with a bit of work with Bernardo's, as I said, because to me it seemed like a normal childhood, but it was actually an amazing childhood. But it's an interesting one when you talk of that because. Sport wasn't an outside activities. They weren't forced on you. It it was a natural thing. And we're not that old, you know, and you'd worry that to, in today's world, you know, you've got people who see they're immediately handed gadgets and devices and they're they're brought into a world where maybe being in isolation in a room, sitting in a dark room playing computer games, which is interactive and is fun. But that idea of being out in the fresh air, maybe we're losing a bit of that at the moment. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Look, we were, we were, you know, both my parents worked, so I, re- I do remember, you know, we, mum used to go into work, so we used to be home alone a little bit. I can't remember from what age she decided we were old enough, but we used to just play sports at home. We used to walk down to our neighbor's house. We used to play with them. We used to have cycling races on the road. There was probably less cars on the road. They were probably going uh, less quick. There was probably less young fellas driving cars, you know, but uh, we'd run in races on the road. We'd cycling races. You know, if the Tour de France was on, we used to do this this lap of the... Uh, of 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 the roads, it was about fifteen minutes long. Um, you know, if the if the tennis was on, we used to we'd be a tarmac area in the front of our house. We used to put pallets across, and those would be the tennis courts. If there was snooker on TV, we we had a small pool table down there. We used to play pool. If the darts were on, we had a darts board. You know, whatever was on, we were all in in on it. And um, and yeah, listen, it was it's it's it was a great childhood, and you know we we argued for the Commodore sixty four, but we never got one, and uh, and I'd be thankful for. I don't know, can kids? I don't know, can you avoid giving that kind of stuff to kids now? But you probably have to lay down some uh, ground rules at the start, because I find with our kids anyway, once you give them something, it's very hard to go back. If if you you know if you give them it with, with certain rules. You, you at least you've something to you've a steady route to work on, but it's hard to reverse out of it once they've been allowed to have something. When I was in art school, you were in art school, and funnily enough, I when I think back in art school, I never thought of you as a rugby player. Now I, you know, we were on we were of the same age. Mm-hmm. Now towards I think fifth and sixth year, yeah, but before that. I used to play a bit of golf and was highly jealous of you because you made the school team and I thought I was the only golfer in art school and it turns out, oh, Paul O'Connell, he's playing off whatever he was and he makes the golf. And then swimming was another thing that I... So when I thought of you when you first started playing internationally, I was always thinking of you, he was a golfer and a swimmer, I thought. So there was a bit of all-rounder stuff going on with you at at a fairly high level in sport in general. Yeah, well... I I would have played loads of sports, but golf and swimming would have been my main sports. I love golf. You know, no one in our house played golf, but I just liked watching it on TV. And then I remember my mom bought me some clubs and uh, she used to bring me playing pitch and putt. She used to just drop me off at the pitch and putt course. And I, I used to play uh, out Maru or else Catholic Institute. Um, so they were my two main sports, swimming and golf. But all through that, I would have been playing hurling for South Liberties, Gaelic football for South Liberties. I would have been playing a lot of uh, soccer at school, not competitive soccer, but we played in small break, big break, after school. Um, and, you know, I would have had two brothers, but one brother that was one year and nine months older than me, he played loads of basketball. He played with marathon inside an art school reach. So we used to play a lot of, we had a lovely basketball ring as well up at home that my mum my 
got made. Um, it was a really good one. And uh, so we played loads of that out the front. So I didn't go back playing. I played a little bit of rugby under 10s and under 12s, but I didn't go back playing until I was about 16 uh, in school because all my friends, Carl Burke, a, a guy called um, Carl Burke, was would have been one of my best mates at school. He was rugby mad. So I eventually went back at 16. But I would have had all the athletic development from all the other sports that I was able to, I was able to take it up, and I was able to figure it out pretty quickly. And at what point, you know, as someone who when rugby was entering or had entered the professional phase, and at what point did you start to realize, you know, what I'm actually handy? Because the idea of taking up the school teams, yeah, fifth and sixth year, but at what point did you say, you know, what I'm actually good at this? Um, I, 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 I don't know. I got, I got picked for the Ireland schools team. You know that. I was six foot six, and you know there mm. probably isn't a lot of six foot six guys around. So I was probably a little bit lucky to get picked for the Irish schools team. Um, I had a good trial, you know, to play a possible versus probables. I had a good trial, but once you get into the Ireland schools team, you're playing with good players, you're getting good coaching, and you know if you're dedicated to it and you're interested in it, you can get very good very quickly. And if you're motivated from swimming, I knew from swimming, you know. The, the improvements you make is directly correlated to the number of hours you put in. So I started getting good quickly. And then I played for months around the 20s, started getting more good coaching, playing with more good players, meeting Jerry Flannery and Jeremy Staunton and Donico Callahan and these other players who also mad into it and dedicated to their training. And, and that was it. And I, I just kept making steps because I'd taken it on quite late at, at, at you know, 15 or 16 or whatever, I was always a little bit behind. So I didn't mind being behind. I didn't mind if I didn't get picked for something because I always felt I was playing catch-up anyway. So I think that kind of mindset, that underdog uh, mindset that that uh, that I had from taking it up late was yeah. a real asset to me at that age. And then, you know, I was lucky then, you know, it's an amazing amount of it's a look you need to make it. When I was coming along then, Mick Galway was 35, John Langford was 35, Munster were looking for uh, looking for young second rows. I come from young Munster, which, you know, if you play for young Munster, you've you generally been taught how to handle yourself in the physical <laughs> in the physical stakes. And and I think that's maybe something Nilo saw in me, Nilo Donovan, when he was picking Munster. And then, then I got into Munster, and once I was into Munster, I was in a great environment with brilliant players who were real hard trainers, great coaching, and I just kept making improvements. I remember Gary Owen games. My dad used to bring me, and it was at a time when the AIL League was, you know, you went to these games, and sometimes you travel down to Cork Con and watch them, and there was magic in seeing Richard Wallace and, you know, all these sort of players who maybe got a cap for Ireland, Philip Danaher. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Is the AIL League still important for players coming up and learning that the ropes, or do, is, does everyone think now from school? I want to get onto the monster team yeah. straight off. Yeah, I think it's really important, and it's. I think it had lost a bit of importance, and it's reassuming its importance now. I don't think it's ever going to get back to what it was when when we were young, when there was, you know, when there was ten thousand people at games, and it was the, you know, it was the be all and end all, and it really was a magical time. Those those, it's one of my regrets that I wasn't born a little bit earlier that I would have played in the AIL for young monsters back in the day and they, they, it was such a, an amazing tournament but I, I, I've i been down to young monsters a few times this year a friend of mine Grover Prendergast coaches them and I'm blown away by the standard of, of 
I'm blown away by the standard of players. I'm blown away by the standard of their dedication and the level of coaching. I mean, I was down, you know, uh, not, not not so long ago, I would say four or five weeks ago, on one of the down weeks during the Six Nations. And they had a meeting before they trained and it was they were solving the same problems as we have with Ireland. You know, they were having the same discussions. So I was blown away by the standard of, of, of what they were doing. And um, I think that's a great... So so if the standard of coaching is that good, I think it's a brilliant, I suppose, breeding ground for young players. players. And, you know, we don't have the private school system here in Limerick. Um, the AIL is, is of utmost importance for us to keep the game going, to keep uh, the spirit of the game alive mm. and also to produce young players for, for Munster in Ireland. We'll get on to the TLC stuff shortly and you know, we're looking at leadership and you know this is what all TLC does boil down to, leadership and community and, and that's what you know local rugby does for people. When you finished playing and you got injured and your career had to end and you sort of were not forced and you knew retirement was coming, was there a period of time where you were going... Oh, what am I doing here? And where is my life going to take me? Or were you immediately thrown into lots of different work? Or did um, you ever have a moment of oh? Yeah, no, I got thrown into lots of different work. I was always very busy, and I had plenty of opportunities. I was lucky with my profile that way. I, you know, I, I I was working on TV. I I did a good bit of coaching, whereby it wasn't the only thing I was doing. Um, I got to travel a little bit, but definitely I, I would have gone through periods of of you know what am I doing now? What what exactly am I doing, or what exactly am I trying to be here? Because that's one thing you have when you play for Munster. You have an unbelievable sense of purpose. You know, it's it's so easy to say no to things because you know exactly what you were almost put on earth for. That's what I felt when it came to playing for Munster. Anyway, so um, so. So, yeah, I had a load of wobbles and I still probably do have those wobbles, even though I coach now and I, and I really enjoy it and I love it and it keeps me incredibly busy. Um, but it there, is a little know, bit different to play. You were lucky in the sense that, as you say, you had that profile and whatever. I mean, I th- often think of all those hundreds of other players from many different, not just in Ireland, you know, who retire at the end mm. of play. And there must be a sort of a realisation that, life is now ahead of you and that and is there support you think for rugby players in that there is certainly in Ireland there is I mean Arupa or Irpa as, as it's called which is our professional players association um, is a brilliant organisation so a lot of the professional players are studying while they're playing uh, a lot of them are doing work experience while they're playing and I think the, the professional players association are getting better and better at helping people manage the transition from playing to non-playing um and i think you know some of the guys come out with a quite a big profile and they can go and they can they can work in tv and they can do various things those guys are actually the guys that probably struggle the most a little bit because they're not the guys that have to say right I actually have to go and start a brand new career now mm. straight away. I have to forget about all the other stuff and I have to go and, and 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 start something. And a lot of the guys that have done that are the guys that are the happiest when you meet them. You know, they've just they've just kicked on, they've accepted they're gonna start at the bottom of the rung, or maybe not the not the bottom of the ladder, but maybe only one or two steps off the bottom. And they've had to strike out and make careers for themselves. And a lot of guys have done really well. You experienced Grand Slams and you experienced wins with Munster and you experienced that that career where Ireland was seen as that amazing team. And then you go into coaching 
and now you're in the middle of a team that's done it on home soil and is looking at heading to the World Cup. How different is it to be part of a winning team as a coach and as a player? Do you feel that you have to remove yourself from all those celebrations? Like, can you can you enjoy it as much? Well, I I re- remove myself for the celebrations because <laughs> I have kids now and we have to get them home to school. So uh, while the players. Uh, probably dragged the arse out of it for a few days we were back to reality quite quickly Um, but it is very different I think as a player even though you're part of a team as a player it's it's very much about you there's a great sense of self-satisfaction you know you probably worked hard to get picked on the team or worked hard to get back from an injury or 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 you know, giving up a few things to try and, and make this career happen for you. And, and you, eventually you, you get a bit of silverware and, and you get to have a moment with yourself and your family where, you know, all the sacrifices are worth it. But it's very different as a coach. It's probably, in some ways, it's more fulfilling because Interesting, you're yeah. only helping people like, you know, you're mm. not, it's not about you. It's It's only about helping people be better and trying to figure out how to help people to be better. So... I don't think you get the same elation in the moment, but you do feel that you know some of the some of the things you've done or the conversations you had where they were a little bit you know you had to step outside your comfort zone a little bit. you do feel maybe they were worth it a little bit so you, there is a nice sense of fulfillment from the coaching side. I don't think it's the same euphoric feeling that you get as a player in the moment though. The Team Limerick Cleanup initiative, when you first came across, I talked with Helen O'Donnell recently, she told me about yourself and JP going down to the hunt towards the end of a working day and coming up yeah. with this idea for, you know, this cleanup initiative that initially was going to probably be a, a small Limerick initiative and suddenly overnight it became big. What did it mean to you at the time, that, that initial phase for creating this initiative? What was it about in your mind? Well, I think Helen was, I think she was trying to figure out how to get volunteers for, for you know, tidy towns and going for gold. I, m- I might be wrong on that. And uh, and I think I was quite busy at the time. And I think a lot of people are busy, you know. So I was saying, you know, why don't we one day a year try and get everyone out? And uh, and that's that was kind of... Where 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 we came up with the kernel of the idea, um, you know, luckily anything that JP is involved can be done at a very high level. You know, he he he's brilliant. Obviously, you've got that financial clout from from the foundation, but also you've got, you know, he he's very good at harnessing volunteerism. It's it's a real skill set he has. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. I mean, litter is is a is a massive problem, and and. I would have been very conscious of it. I remember being in. Uh, I remember being on holidays abroad. We were in Mallorca when I was young. I remember my dad seeing a bag, uh, a duty free bag with Shannon Airport on it uh, on the ground, <laughs> and uh, I remember Dad picking it up and putting it in the bin because he was conscious that it was uh, some Irish person that littered it. He didn't want Irish. <laughs> Great banding, like, yeah. Yeah, but like I remember sticking. I remember. I can remember where we were. I remember sticking in my head and. Uh, uh, like so, so, so. Litter has always been a, a, an annoying thing for me. It's obviously is for Helen and JP as well. And and ever since I've been involved in TLC, now I can't walk anywhere without. I feel like I'm seeing litter all the time. But um, but as I, a parent, are you aware of that environmental challenge that's ahead of them? Like we'll probably get through it and we won't see. But you know, it's 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 possibly your kids and grandkids particularly yeah. that may start seeing the impact about those little changes that we can make to help an environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what it is about. I mean, listen, 
the city and the county gets a clean up in one day but also on top of that I hope kids learn some good habits as well that's the that's the big thing it's not you know you can you, you can clean up you can clean up the city in a, in a in a day or whatever it'll be it'll be destroyed again in 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 a week or whatever it is if 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 people don't have good habits so it's about bringing kids out it's about adults showing their kids this is what we do we should be doing this we get out uh we should keep our local area clean we should be involved in that um that and it's gr- interesting that the values of goes out, yeah, and the values know. of rugby the pride the leadership community being able to bring people together teamwork it yeah. all kind of fits in doesn't yeah, it yeah and that's one of jp's favorite things about it actually is that you know i suppose a lot of new housing estates up and people don't meet their neighbors as much as they as as they as they maybe did in the past so JP JP loves the the tea, the hot cross buns part of it and people being able to catch up with one another and get to know one another. So look, coming back to this year and we want to get as many new volunteers involved. We want particularly people who have moved to Limerick and Limerick's a place at the moment where people are actually now choosing to live, which which is a real achievement for us because many years ago a lot of us might have knocked it and said, you know, why, why would you bother moving to Limerick? But now it's about people basing themselves here but being also able to show that once you've moved here that you can take part in something like this and become part of the community. Yeah, yeah, and uh, look, it's a way—it's a way to meet people, and it's the right thing to do. And it's one morning a year; like it's not—it's not difficult. Um, weather has generally been good to us in the last few years, I think, except for one year. But uh, um, it's not difficult, and you know, the place looks like a million dollars after. You know, you only realise what litter is around when you go out to pick it, and uh, and it's a great example for kids. It's a great example for kids to be to be told to put on their coats and to head out with a bag and a, and a picker under their arms and to and to clean up their local area. It's, you know, you want pride of place. That's what we have to teach our kids, you know. We have to teach them to be proud of where they come from so that they look after it, so that they, so that they make the right decisions as they go through life as well. Between now and September, you'll be busy. And uh, your thoughts, we've never really managed to sort of take World Cups and, and, and sort of something seems to be hanging over us. Do you think we're in a good place this year. Yeah, we're in a great place uh, heading to the World Cup, but, you know, there's there's a lot of luck in World Cups. You know, some teams have won World Cups without having to beat a whole host of teams. South Africa in their last World Cup, you know, they, they you know they lost to New Zealand. They didn't have to beat New Zealand. They didn't have to beat Australia. Uh, they beat England in the final. In fairness to them, but uh, you know we've a, we've a we've a tough draw, but we have the players that are capable of 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 beating any team in the world on their day as we've shown over the last 12, uh, 12, 16 months. So we're in a good place heading to it and uh, a little bit of luck would be great as well. Paul O'Connell, thank you so much for joining us on the Team Limerick Cleanup Talks to podcast. The best of luck over the next few months. Enjoy a break if you get it and thank you. Cheers, Nigel. Thank you. Isn't he an amazing guy? Paul O'Connell there having a chat with me when he came into the studio last week and I wish Paul, I hope he has a lovely summer because he'll be back working hard now as we prepare for the Rugby World Cup later in the year and the best of luck to all the team as we prepare for that event. So one of the key partners with Team Limerick cleanup down through the years has been Limerick City and County Council who've played a wonderful role in being able to bring all of this together. It doesn't just happen with a group of volunteers that come out. We also need to be shown how to do this safely. So I'm joined in studio by Porig Malone who works in the Department of Urban and Rural Community Development in Limerick City and County Council and he joined us to give us a little bit of insight into the council's role within the Team Limerick cleanup initiative. Porig, you're very welcome to the studio. 
Thank you, Nigel. Thanks for having me. Talk to me about your department, Urban Rural Community Development. It's a really interesting one because urban and rural almost seem to be two things that are dichotomy opposite. But um, what exactly is the role that you do? Yeah, I suppose... uh, Local authorities in general, there's been an increased focus on community at national level and, you know, and this has assisted, I suppose, the councils in streamlining services, identifying potential funding streams and resources that are at the disposal of communities. And this brings communities, voluntary organisations, local development companies, for example, and statutory agents together for the betterment, I suppose, of a more sustainable community. So it's really a bottom-up approach is the ideal model uh, working with key partners in the community in our rural development section, we work a lot on a lot of strategic plans in terms of monitoring review. And I suppose since 2014, where local authorities became uh, more uh, involved in economic and community development, there's been over 90 million uh, come to Limerick via various programs and funding streams impacting community facilities, playgrounds, health and well-being, public realm, age-friendly, tidy towns environmental initiatives and social inclusion. So it's all place-based and team-based, really. And Um, I suppose the interesting thing on all of that is that we know that Dublin is in a position whereby it's possibly becoming saturated. We're trying to attract as many people to choose other destinations and to get balanced regional development. And that doesn't just mean moving to Limerick City. It means choosing Athlaca, as we saw with Elaine Houlihan recently, and other villages around so people can actually have a better quality of life and still be working for big multinationals. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the key policies at the minute of National is Town, fin- town Centre First policy is to revitalise uh, towns and villages and not necessarily in, in both urban, I suppose, and rural areas, and to get people back living and working in towns and being able to, I suppose, access good jobs, uh, you know, and good services within, with, within a 10, 15-minute drive or whatever. Talk to me then about how Team Limerick clean up and tidy towns and keeping places clean and looking at how you can make nice spaces. Team Limerick clean up plays a big role in that, in both fostering people who are younger to maybe be proud of their place, but what role does the council play within that and, and how important is Team Limerick clean up? I mean, in terms of, like, Team Limerick clean up, it's such a unique collaboration with communities, public agencies uh, and private partners, you know, to get the message out about, I suppose, keeping uh, our environment clean and, and promoting those lifelong learning goals in relation to environments, particularly in schools, for example. So the engagement of volunteers is critical. So it's all 21,000 of them, uh, Nigel, and this yields positive outcomes for, I suppose, the community and the council who are fully committed to, to, to bettering our, 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 our areas. And the main focus is really to keep public spaces neat and litter-free, getting everyone activated on, on for Limerick on Good Friday, and, of course, having the customary uh, cup of tea in the hot cross bun, yeah. uh, which, which is all part of it as well. And, look, it's about improving the quality of life for everyone who lives and works and visits Limerick, and it kind of galvanises volunteers to continue working to keep our place in pristine condition. But in terms of the council's real role, uh, Nigel, you know, in health and safety, I suppose our primary role is really uh, to, to get out the message about health and safety and best practices uh, around um, TLC. So, you know, that's important too. Um, you know, we manage the coordination cons- consultation with other statutory agencies such as Angarda Shekana, the HSE in terms of health and safety, to ensure best practice on health and safety is central to the event and that's what really makes the event. And it sounds like a boring thing but it's actually one of the most important because people don't realise when they're having their massive groups and there's kids all across the city and the county, you know, cleaning up pieces of litter, 
there are dangers that come with that. So we have to look at those bits. Absolutely. And like, you know, I suppose the health and safety and briefings that commenced and I suppose that were very well attended are really just advising groups on what to do and not to do in terms of safety on our roads, footpaths and general environs. You know, get out your high-vis, use your safety equipment provided and think safety at all times. And you mentioned it there, the great energy and turnout at some of the briefings you know, it, it really does, you get a really hands-on uh, feel for how passionate people are about Limerick, about where they're from, who they are and what defines them. You know, and it really brings out that community spirit in people. But the important message for everyone is to think safety at all times. And it's something, if you think litter area is too dangerous for you to pick up, well then it is. So common sense reveals, bring it into the council and we look after it. Well, look, Porig, the very best of luck on the day. I know you'll be up early and you'll be part of all of the teams and you'll be behind the scenes. And I'm fascinated sometimes about behind the scenes stuff, working with the guards and all of that. I've seen it in operation. It's amazing. But look, let's here's for a brilliant year this year and well done to all the work that you do and the team does. And the best of luck to you in the role going forward because you're really part of something that can make a difference for Limerick. Absolutely. And it'll, it'll continue to evolve, Nigel. And just to thank yourselves in Live 95 for having us on. Pleasure. Thank you. And my thanks again to Porig Malone for coming in and giving us a little bit of background about what he does behind the scenes and the important work of cleaning up our towns and villages across Limerick County. It's really, really important. And I think Limerick City and County Council need to be commended for the work they've done over the last number of years to ensure that our county really starts to shine. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the coming years. It's an exciting time for us, isn't it? So the time is upon us. That is it from Team Limerick Cleanup Talks to Podcast. I hope... The people we've brought you in this podcast have given you an insight into what the initiative is about and how it's ran. And I hope you've enjoyed some of their personal stories as well. All we can do now is get ready for the big day. So all of our volunteers will be will be up early on Good Friday getting ready to greet you all as you do the wonderful work to make Limerick City and County a better place to live and make it spick and span for the summer months. So the very best of luck to all of you who take part this year. I hope you enjoy yourselves. Meet a friend, shake hands with someone you don't know, enjoy each other's company, but most of all, stay safe on Good Friday and we look forward to covering it over the next couple of weeks on Live 95 here in Limerick. So from me, Nigel Dugdale, and all the team at Team Limerick Cleanup's Talks to Podcast, thanks for listening and enjoy Good Friday, Team Limerick Cleanup 8. It will be fun.